I uh, want to continue our series on the church as we look at um, this aspect of the fellowship. Yeah, um, it says in Acts chapter two, verse forty-two, said they devoted that devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine in response to Peter's sermon to save themselves from this corrupt generation and to receive the Holy Spirit. There were four things that seemed to be very important foundations to the church. One was uh, devoting themselves to the apostles' doctrine. The second one was fellowship, devoting themselves to fellowship. The third thing was devoting themselves to um, uh, the, the breaking of bread and devoting themselves to prayer. Uh, today, I'd like to just continue uh, a little bit about the fellowship. Uh, the word for, the, for fellowship that's used in Acts chapter 2, 42, is the word koinonia. And uh, it's a very interesting word. And the Bible uses that word from, from, from this cognate word from koinon um, in a very distinctive way. And uh, koinon normally means to share with someone in something above and beyond the relationship itself. So the koinonia, the fellowship, really wasn't relationship. So it would be wrong to translate that they devoted themselves to relationship. They actually devoted themselves to that which was above and beyond the relationship itself. It involved relationship, as fellowship involves relationship. In fact, the carrier of these, this thing that they were devoting themselves to flowed along the lines of relationship, but they devoted themselves to koinonia, the fellowship, which had to do with the, the passing on and receiving and giving of supernatural things, of things of grace, things of God, things of, uh, of, uh, of the Spirit of God. And so it's a very interesting uh, um, uh, phrase that's actually used, devoting themselves to it. They're de devoting themselves to the fellowship. And I want to put it to you that actually the fellowship, this divine thing in which between brothers and sisters who love one another with a supernatural love, the love of God, and are related together, um, flows with divine things. Divine things. And, if, and, and, and it, it becomes a dynamic, not static, kind of activity. It's almost a verb. Not just a noun. So they devoted themselves to this thing that the Holy Spirit was doing through them. The thing that was distinctive about it is that what was flowing through them was kindness. It was human. But in the midst of that humanity, there were divine things that were actually flowing into them. So they devoted themselves to this. Um, um, and I guess, as we think about this, um, what's really important for us to um, contemplate is the fact that we are searching for a belonging. We are searching for belonging. We want to belong to that thing, that special distinctive thing that God is doing. You want to belong to not just a group in which you can identify yourself with and feel secure in, but you're wanting to belong 
to something that God is doing. Don't you think? So the, de- the devotion was not just to their own friend group. They were, their devotion was not just to people of their own kind of kind, but they were as a devotion to something that God was doing. Here were people who had not that long ago experienced, experienced the most devastating, crushing blow in their life where the messianic hopes were completely um, um, destroyed. They came to death. And now, after this experience of Pentecost, they were now brought together, not because they were all flopping on each other, but because of the fact that God was doing something. And God was building something, not like any club, not like any society, not like any association, but something in which He wanted to do amazing things through. So, there is a yearning for us to belong, and I feel that this yearning for us to belong uh, has two parts, and I just want to divide this sermon into these two two. two um, Two, desi- two kinds of desires for belonging. Yeah? The one has to do with the fact that we are lonely and that we feel incomplete. We are in some ways alienated and lonely in this world. Um, we do experience that. And there's something incomplete, something broken about us that longs for belonging. This is not wrong, but it is something that is a need that we all have, a need in our own heart, in our own soul to belong. And I'd like to talk about that first. And the thing about it is that um, as we talk about it, this first point will lead us to the second point, which uh, I will talk about later. But let us pray as we uh, get ready to hear from what the Lord is saying. Lord, we invite you to come. We welcome you. We welcome your presence. And uh, we ask you, Lord, that you will satisfy us, our longings and our desires and our need for belonging. Not just our need to belong, but to actually be part of something that you are doing that is significant, that is to you purposeful. And so we ask you that you come. Come and meet us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, I'd like us to talk about this, this thing. We all want to belong. We also want community. We desire to be belonging and to be connected with people. We desire that. And uh, as as people who desire community, because we are gregarious people, um, we desire something that gives us a place. But it's interesting, the word belonging, because belonging has to do with, has to do with belong, right? Belong. And when you belong, to something, you don't actually belong to yourself. You don't actually belong to yourself. As we sang, have your way, have your way, Lord. You belong to someone else. We want to belong, 
But we sometimes forget that to belong means to actually belong to someone else outside of yourself. The problem with Christian community is, can sometimes be the fact that we want to belong in the sense of be a part of or be in community, but we don't want to belong to anybody. I look forward in my life to be belong to someone else and to belong to a family. I, belong, I, I longed for that and I yearned for that and I enjoy that. But if you think that in order for you to be, become, be a person who belongs, you can just belong to yourself and have it all in your own terms, you can forget about it. I have a car, but it's almost as if I don't have a car. Because even though I own my car and I'm paying for it, I'm not the one who's mostly driving it. I longed for the time when I would get married to Cindy and have a family and all that. But do you know that my life does not belong to myself anymore? You are, your last, you are the last priority. And I don't say this with bitterness, I say this with joy actually. That the belonging is something in which you belong to someone else. For me, I belong to a lot of people, four other people. I cannot go down for dinner just whenever I like. I kind of am uh, an introvert. And constantly my, my kids are telling me, Daddy, why are you still in your room? I have a duty in my belonging. And so what we begin to realize that in belonging, in fellowship, there is one thing that actually can sometimes be missed out. And that has to do with the fact that when we want a place, we are asking for sometimes space, not place. Walter Brueggemann had this distinction that he made between place and space. The word space means a certain amount of autonomy. When we say, give me space, what, he say, what, we, what we mean is, don't bug me, all right? Don't hold me accountable. Give me freedom to do what I need to do without you looking over my shoulder. That's space. When we talk about space, a lot of times we think about a free area a free relational area in which we are free to do whatever we want to do. Place is different. Place has to do with belonging. You belong in this group or you belong in this, play, in this, in this, uh, this, this, this grouping of people because there you have certain responsibilities. You commit yourself in a covenant relationship with these people and so if you belong to this place or you have a place, you can't actually do whatever you like because you being in this has meaning insofar as you are submitted to the things that constitute this distinct group of people called your place. Does that make sense? I hope this is not meaning becoming too abstract. So if, I, if, if, I, if I'm saying I have a place here, it means probably that I don't I have allowed myself to come under the 
um, the influence or the, the, re- the, the, the responsibility to a certain group. Amen? Um, and so, when you come to Isaiah chapter 56, the Lord um, speaks to these ones who are longing for a belonging. They are longing for belonging. And so, if you can turn with me to Isaiah 56, uh, I'm reading from the NASB. Um, let's have a look at this, all right? This is addressed to those who don't belong. Thus says the Lord, verse 1, Preserve justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come, and my righteousness to be re- revealed. So when you, um, when you read this chapter, this chapter is one of those liminal chapters which we talked about uh, uh, last week, Isaiah 52, Isaiah 54, Isaiah 56. Something is about to happen. Yeah? Some change is about to take, happen. Uh, my righteousness is about to be revealed. Something is happening. What do we do in the light of that, in the, on the verge of that? Yeah? What, what is the dynamic change that's about to be taking place in this liminal space, this, 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 this kind of area in which something is about to happen? Verse 2, How blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who takes hold of it, who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. And then he speaks to someone who doesn't belong. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Yeah? This was, of course, speaking to those who are Gentiles. They were not Jews. They were not Israelites. Sorry. They, they, are, they are foreigners. But they wanted to be part of the commonwealth of Israel. They saw, because of the way in which God was dealing with them in the land, they saw the blessing, the wisdom, and the truth of Yahweh. And so they wanted to join, but Israel, Israeli religion was quite exclusive. Yeah, it was exclusive. Those who are not um, Israelites by birth or by blood sort of were sort of a, a little bit at the outside. They were, they were actually not part of this. They did not belong. And then Isaiah says to these ones, do not say... You don't belong. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Nor let the eunuchs say, behold, I'm a dry tree. The eunuchs were not allowed to be entering into the, the tent of, uh, of the gathering or the tent of meeting because of the fact that they, are, uh, they were in some ways um, um, not, incom- not unclean, but somehow inadequate. So according to the Jewish law, or sorry, the, Israel, the, the, the Mosaic law, eunuchs were not allowed to actually enter in. So there were these two categories of people who could not belong, who couldn't be part of it because of either just being foreign, not of that people, not naturally from that culture or from that blood, not born that way, didn't have the right DNA or whatever it is, or didn't have the right uh, lineage, or they were, there's something wrong with it, something missing, something, is, something was amiss uh, 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 in their lives. They're inadequate. They were inadequate. And these are two things that can cause us to feel never belonging in the, in the fellowship of God. The sense of inadequacy, the sense of somehow perhaps things have taken place in our lives that have made us make mistakes or things have been traumatic for us or because of that trauma, we can somehow our relationships just get bunged up all the time. Constantly, there's some brokenness or some psychological, emotional uh, trauma that has taken place or some 
mistake or some sin even or some 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 thing that has taken place that has somehow made you not able to be up for it then the other thing has to do with the foreigners uh, those who were not part of the commonwealth of israel and what god is saying is this was was this looking forward to the new covenant when christ would come there is going to come a time in which those who are eunuchs and those who are foreigners will say i'm not one who's separated from my people yeah there comes a time if you keep your finger here and uh, and and uh, and uh, quickly i'll read uh, ephesians chapter 2 um, Paul says that in Christ, in chapter 2, verse 18, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. In Isaiah chapter 56 says, don't let the aliens, strangers, the eunuchs say, the Lord has separated my people. Don't let that. But he still calls them that. Right? Aliens, strangers, eunuchs. But in Paul, in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, those of you who are are, are strangers and aliens, you are no longer, no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, whom you are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. What Paul says, in answer to Isaiah 56, sort of in continuation of, in fulfillment of Isaiah 56 is this, you are no longer to call yourself strangers and aliens. You are no longer to call yourself someone who is out separated. Isn't that amazing? What God has done in Christ is that He made provision for us to experience fellowship and belonging in this supernatural, amazing thing, this this verb of a thing in which God's Spirit is doing these great things in a community. Not individually. In a community. It's almost as if Ephesians actually talks about it, we talked about it earlier, that you as an individual can do some little piddly things for God. Miracles, all that, yes. Amazing things that an individual can do. But you don't know anything about what, you can, what God can do because if you do not know the love, love of God and the life of God in the church, you have no idea about what greatness is. And God has chosen the church to be the vehicle by which these special things that the world perhaps has not actually seen can be done. If you are looking for a church in which you can self-actualize for yourself, you are mistaken. That will be your purpose and God, He's so loving, He will help you, He will give you that. Sure. You want to be a great, great man, great woman? Sure, He'll give you that. But that's not really where the great things are located. The great things that he wants to do are in the church. Ephesians chapter 3.10, he has chosen that through the church, the wisdom and the, and, 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 the, and the power of God will be manifest even to principalities and powers in this cosmos. So yes, you can be used by God. Yes, you can do miracles as an individual. Yes, you can fulfill yourself and become whatever, great. Good. Good for you. God loves you and He'll do that for you. 
But that is not the game. That is not the purpose of God. That's your purpose. Whoopie do to you. But what God wants to do is something that He wants to do through more than you. He wants to do it through different people. He wants to do it through people who are not like each other either. Maybe they don't even like each other. (laughs) But He wants to do it through something that is bigger than you. To be sure, He wants everybody to be raised up. Everybody to be fulfilled. Everybody to be kind of maxed maxed in His power and His great uh, anointing and His his inheritance. But the game, the purpose of God, is not that. That's not it. I realized that many years ago when I joined this church for meetings and saw how people could be so empowered, individuals could be so empowered in the things of the Holy Spirit, people who are younger than me, I was amazed that this group of people was so filled with the Holy Spirit that the average church member was so empowered by the Holy Spirit, moving things, supernatural things, knowing God that I was saying to myself, I want to join this so that I can also be empowered by God. Right? And when I sort of got more and more involved with this church, not joining it yet, I realized that that was not even where God was going with this. God was building the church of which no person in the church would not be empowered. But the purposes were going to take place through this church. I joined this church for about 17 years and became a pastor and planted six churches through them. And I saw how God could work in a way that was not just about me, but being part of this group of people, all of whom were different, and all of them were working in, together in unity. But because of this unity, amazing things happened wherever we went. Can you see this? This is the purpose of God is not really just about your and my empowerment. The purpose of God isn't quite the same as my purpose to become an empowered Christian in God. I can't experience the fellowship of this thing that God is doing in which He's redeeming the world unless the center of all things is not myself, but His body. Now, I understand that the church has failed through the years. The church has failed spectacularly, dramatically, and in many ways, irreversibly. And it's easy for us to give up on the church and think that, well, the church is, you know, what the church is, is 
at best fuddy-duddy, at worst corrupt. At best, doesn't do anything to harm anybody. At worst, harms a lot of people. It's true. But it doesn't change the fact that God's purposes have their locus or have their focus on not an individual, what an individual can do, but about what happens when such individuals come together. And so the disciples devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the koinonia, the fellowship, the interaction of what God was doing through each one. Amen? I think the problem in, that we experience in our modern age is that we have translated or transposed our own individual narcissism, our own self-referencing into the church so that when we think of the church, when we think of communion, communion, we think in terms of communion in which we are autonomous. And so we want a space for ourselves in church. We want a platform or we want a support group or we want this or we want that. But the, what we want is a space in church. Spaces where we are not accountable, but we have freedom to do whatever we want. What we want is sometimes space rather than place. Now, this is what Isaiah chapter 56 says. It says, Do not let, verse 3, the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. To them I will give in my house and within my walls and a, a memorial. The word yad is, is also translated a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I'll give a place and a name. So this place God gives us is something that is conditioned upon these, th- these three, and I would say four things, and you can see this in verse 4. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, choose what pleases me, and hold fast my covenant. Keep my Sabbath, choose what, pl- choose what pleases me, hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name, a memorial and a name, better than a son- sons and daughters. I'll give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. Also the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord, to be His servants, everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and hold fast my covenant, even this I'll bring to my holy mountain. It's funny, it's interesting how the church in the Old Testament is conceived as a holy mountain, a place of prayer. Make them joyful in my house of prayer. So there are four things, and we will not go into each of these four things with equal uh, weight. There will be those who keep my Sabbath, please me, choose that pleases me, hold fast my covenant, and become my servants. These are the four characteristics that bring, make us have not space, but place. A place in what God is doing. The place means in this thing that God's doing, you are necessary here in, do, in, in, the, in this thing that God is doing in the world. Wow, that's great, isn't it? in such a way that I don't have to think about myself. I don't have to think about what my part in it is. 
I just need to think about what God's doing and He will lead me into it. Uh, praise God. Praise God. Because of the fact that sometimes we want community, but we want to remain autonomous, we want to have it on our own terms, I've noticed that in churches, it's interesting how people enter and leave. It's really interesting how in church, when we are in a church, I've noticed that a lot of times since you know, coming to America, a lot of times people would come and they would get involved in the church and not realize that when we come together as a body of people, we are covenanted together so that we have a place. And many times I have found that people would leave the church having becoming, been very important people. But they leave anonymously, quietly, no goodbyes. And I think sometimes that's because of the fact that we tend to think of church in a sort of, in the same way we think of belonging to Sam's Club. I had never belonged to Sam's Club. But I assume Sam's Club is this discount club, right? Is that correct? Or Costco, or whatever. Sam's Club is this. You pay your subscription, you become a part of it, and you do whatever you need to do through that organization. Does that make sense? Yes? But when you leave, you leave because there's no covenant. It's a contract. You have a contract in which you, you subscribe to it, and, you, and when you leave, you, you, you just don't pay the subscription for the next year, and then you're off. You're free. No words need to be said. A covenant is different. Covenant means you mean something to the organization. The, covenant, the organization has made a covenant with you. You are important to them. And you have a place in the organization. Does that make sense? Hello? I've noticed people, they come into relationship, boyfriend and girlfriend. Yeah? And a number of times, one of them would leave the other by texting. Sorry, I think I'm going to move on to my new season because we believe in seasons, right? I'm, and the Lord is moving on to a new season. Now, as Christians, we can sometimes use all kinds of Christian words to say, God is moving me on. Yeah? And that may be true. God may be actually moving you on. But because you are in a covenant and you have a place, not a space, but a place, more hap ha happens there. Amen? Amen? I mean, what happens is this. We have become so isolated and be so lonely in our hearts that we don't think we mean anything to anybody else. Neither do we consider the fact that in a covenant, we owe something to someone else. 
because you belong. You belong to someone else. Does that make sense? You belong to the group of people. Now, the church is not Sam's club. The church is a group of people in which God is going to do supernatural things, but the entry into the church is through the cross. It's through death. Right? If you do not experience this death to yourself, what's happened is that you will constantly be relating to the church from the point of view of your own desires, your own point of view, your own autonomy. Everything out there in the church is what you negotiate with and relate to from a center in self. And when that happens, church becomes very spotty. It's very spotty. Sometimes it's a blessing. Sometimes it's not a blessing. Sometimes it just becomes just sheer boring. And as a result of that, a lot of people don't really experience body life because they move, their movements in the church are based upon their own point of view. Yeah, point of view. You see this in robotics as well. It's point of view, right? But what if the point of view is God? We devote ourselves to God. And from God, we, our self comes out of our own, um, our own chest and goes out from God. And what we are looking at is not just what I'm going to be doing, but what God is doing. Now, what prayer does, it takes us gradually from a point in which, I, in which I'm praying to God and I can't help it. I'm praying to God so that I'll be better, I'll be well, more, I'll be weller. Correct? I'll feel better about God, I'll feel better about myself, I'll feel better about my relationship with God, I'll feel that God loves me more or things are going to work out well. I cannot help praying, begin pray, to, to begin praying from the point of view of my own self, my own point of view. So all prayer is a way in which I can be better, I can be okay, and that God can help me. Correct? Okay, we have to move on this slowly and patiently, okay? Just be patient with me. Prayer often begins that way. I'm praying because I have a need. Or I'm praying because my daughter or my wife has a need or my family has a need or my relatives have a need. I pray this, but it is from my point of view. I don't know what God's needs are. I don't know what God wants, but I know what I want. I'm praying from the point of view of my own need because I know my own need better then I know God's need. Not that God really needs anything or God wants anything, but God has wants. Does that make sense? Now, as we pray more and more and as we pray in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit burns that and brings us to a place where we are translated from our own point of view to God's point of view. I can feel my own self moving from a point of anxiety for my own issues to a place in which I'm not even aware of the fact that I exist. And when that's happened, I'm free. And I'm free to such an extent that I can love my brothers, my sisters, my family in a way that is beyond what I could have if I was stuck in myself. Fellowship 
it's not the parceling out of limited resources based upon what I have from my point of view. So I'll give you what I have. I, I have about three halfpennies, three, three pennies. I'll give you one because I need two. Fellowship happens when we die to ourselves and we are freed up from our own needs so much so we can love one another with a supernatural love, a love that goes further, that can be done every day. Amen? That it is no burden for you to belong to someone else or your car to belong to someone else to use. True? Love liberates us to such an extent that we want someone else to have it. Amen? When you, ask me, when you hear me saying amen, you know I'm getting a bit nervous. <laughs> Whether we're all together or not. <laughs> and that is what fellowship begins to be. We haven't begun to fellowship unless we get out of ourselves. So when, when we are strangers and aliens, the prophet Isaiah says, you keep my Sabbath. That means, the Sabbath really means that all the days belong to God. God sets the agenda. The children of Israel, on the Sabbath, Sabbath years and the Sabbath days, they had to leave off planting and sowing and working and doing their own stuff. It would belong to God. God interrupts everything. He intervenes. He becomes the one for which they are living at the risk of losing their business. Sabbath had, had to the, remind the children of Israel that everything belongs to God. You know, everything belongs to God. Sabbath. Keep my Sabbath. Choose the things that please me. That means our choices are not based upon what is expedient to us, but what God wants to do. Choose what pleases me. Amen? The third thing has to do with keep my covenant. You see, belonging is a covenantal thing. It's our covenant before God. Where we say, God, I'm going to live for you. I'm, and, and, and at that point uh, in the Old Testament, the sign of it was circumcision, a sign of ownership in which in my flesh, you cut into me. My flesh is not autonomous. It is cut into so that it now belongs to you in such a way that from now on, um, I am, I'm yours. Sabbath choose the things that please me and uh, holding fast to the covenant so that we are held together not because we like one another or because it's convenient for us but because of the fact that a covenant made has to be broken covenantally. We don't slide in and out of each other's lives. Does that make sense? And so what was happening is that God was actually curing the children of Israel from their own narcissism by bringing them into fellowship with one another in such a way that supernatural life would flow. Now, how would that happen? I'll put it to you that actually being involved in the church is a labor of love. Where God calls us to do things with people who are not strategic to you not strategic to your purposes at all. 
not strategic to what the world considers important, but in love. I remember uh, some years ago, there was someone who was uh, um, coming to our church, not really a member of our church, but coming to a church quite, quite a lot. And she was dying. And uh, I found that the Lord spoke to me and he says, I want you to visit her in hospital every day, five days a week, every day. You just pray for her. She was completely unconscious. Unconscious. And during that whole time, it was a few months that I went to visit her and prayed for her and sang to her, sat with her, held her hand with no response from her, absolutely no response from her. Only doubts from the staff as well as her relatives. Doubts cast upon me that she was not getting better. But the Lord spoke to me. He says, I want you to do it every day. Every day. And you go and you're going to pray for her every day for two and a half months. Five days a week. It was never a burden. I don't do that kind of stuff. But the grace of God in fellowship causes us to do that kind of stuff. That is the kind of stuff we are interested in. Does that make sense? And the Lord will give us grace to do that kind of stuff. Not the kind of stuff that's necessarily so-called strategic. All strategic is good. All that, don't get, don't get me wrong. I don't want to play off one against the other. But sometimes we think of things that are strategic from our own selfish point of view. Strategically, strategic, selfish, kind of our own point of view, point of view. <laughs> but I tell you something, God's going to do that in each one of us. And, and what will happen is that you'll be faced with the fact that the cross must apply upon your life and my life. The Sabbath, choosing the things that please God, and holding forth the covenant. Amen? Now, what I want to say is this. You can never feel the sense of belonging unless you feel a sense of covenant, a sense of being belonged. Not by people, but by God. And sometimes members in your family will be giving themselves to one particular person who may not necessarily be able to do anything good in return, but actually maybe misunderstand them completely. I've seen that happen. Why are you doing this? I don't know. I have to do it. I have to do it. I'm talking about a daily thing. A daily thing. A daily thing. Now, I've got to tell you, fellowship involves us doing things that are beyond, the things of love that are beyond our own normal capacity. I'm not a person who will every day pray for people. Every day. No. But the fellowship has to do with the fact that as we give ourselves to God, God is free to direct us to do this for this person or that person or that other person. Does it make sense? Or to find there's a need and you have to pray to God and ask God for money that that person ha- needs which you do not have. That is fellowship. Koinon has to do with the sharing 
of things that you didn't actually have in, your, in yourself only, but which came from God. Amen? One of the things that I was sharing with somebody today, uh, this, this past week, was one of the things that saved my life in some ways, and I'm, I may be uh, hyperbo- hyperbolic about, about this, is when I came to America. Because when I came to America, we started a very, very small church. One of the smallest churches in the world. It's called VCF. I was used to a very different kind of life and different kind of ministry. But when our church in, in KL had grown to, you know, 800, 900, I began to find that my ministry, my, the things that I was doing, were only strategic. We had begun the church with one-on-one relationships, sweating it out for one another, sweating it out for one another, believing God, praying and hoping against hope that this person will be healed or this person will be normal or this person would not be um, constantly threatening suicide. Life in ministry for me as I was in my 20s was so much a matter of that. Praying in the middle of the night, being called to somebody's house to just pray through an asthma attack or something like that. It was all that. And my early years of pioneering and, and, and starting churches was really a lot of supernatural things that would take place, but I had to sweat it out, really sweat it out, and really love people who I didn't even speak the same language to. My, 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 my involvement in ministry was really with people, half of whom couldn't understand a word that I was saying, so they would not even listen to my preaching. Everything was translated, or they just came because there was food after after church. We had a lunch, and then they got to eat. But God built something up, and out of that, we built the presence of God was built up in our church, a church that I I I, I pastored to such an extent that the presence of God would be so tangible that people would come in and without even a word being spoken, they would just be struck by the Holy Spirit and transformed. And of course, our church grew and grew and grew and grew. And the final church that I was pastoring there was the mother church, which grew. And before long, I found myself only doing preaching, teaching, and strategizing. Okay, strategizing. Oh, strategizing, planning and strategizing, all that. I had a great staff. I had a wonderful secretary. I had somebody who even would be kind of a personal assistant. I, all I had to do is to sit down think, and think strategically. Ministry was wonderful. And very boring. Very, very boring. Took the life out of me. And by the end of my time in Malaysia, even though God was moving, I could sense in myself a lack of confidence that would only come when I live in love as a servant. As a servant. 
and as I grew in ministry, so to speak, instead of being a servant, I seemed to have servants who would serve me. One of the best things that happened was when I moved on, I gave my church uh, two years' notice, set up everything, and came. And the first thing that God did was to get me involved with people in a, in a completely intensive way. I have not had so much fun doing ministry as this past few years. Praise God, huh? Then I realized that fellowship needs to be back to the first principles and all that. Amen. Hallelujah. And I'm only halfway through. So I'll have to continue next week. The next thing that I'm going to be talking about is the fact that there are some people who want to belong, not because they're lonely, not because they need community, but because they want to be part of what God's doing. They want to be part of a move of God. And I will use the word revival cautiously, but what God is doing. Not because they want to be empowered, because they will be, but because of the fact that God is setting up to move in a mighty way because He has chosen the church work his miracles through. Amen? And we will talk about that next Sunday. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the church. Thank you for keeping us in this place where we are close to watching, attentive to what you are doing what the Holy Spirit is about to do. I want to invite you to just talk to God wherever you are and allow the Lord to just put His eye on how your fellowship has been in the church. Has God called you to love and minister to and believe for and sweat it out over a brother or a sister or a group of people in which in ministering to them you have depleted yourself and now you're at the stage where you just have to cry out to God because there's nothing left in you to give to this brother or sister. Perhaps this person is not even in church, not even on Zoom, on Facebook, but just keeps on coming up in your mind. You are about to break into fellowship. That supernatural activity of God Come, O Lord, overflow us with your love. 
to bring our hearts like vessels to the ever-flowing stream. Come, Holy Spirit. For those of us who feel somehow never really belonging, somehow separated, separated out from God's people. Perhaps you may even feel that here in this church. The truth of the matter is that God is looking for you. And he's seeking you out. Not just as an individual, but so that you can be part of this great thing that he's gathering clouds of his people to and amassing and drawing together and fitting together. You are in the midst of it. It's just that perhaps you may not be located in a, in a place in, a, in which you are ready to move with God. But God is here and He can guide us and He can guide you and me. Just give us, He'll just give you the next step, that's all. Lord, we just pray that you come and you would speak to us, Lord, that none of us miss out on this great thing that you're doing. Come, Holy Spirit. We believe that you are going to do great and wonderful things that have our name on it too. Bless your name. Praise you. Come, Holy Spirit, I need you. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. Come in your strength and your power. Just come in your own gentle way. We say, Lord, have your way, Lord. Have your way. In Jesus' name. Amen.